Today on the Arts Report, we'll tell you about the Vancouver premiere of Evelyn Strange. Uh, we'll also tell you about the Impulse Improv Festival coming to UBC, uh, the well-reviewed Jesus Hopped the A-Train at Pacific Theatre, uh, TV show Health Nuts, the huge epic uh, production of 1984, and, um, and musical robots as well. So stay with us. And welcome to the Arts Report for March the 23rd, 2011. This is your weekly arts and culture fix here on CITR Radio, broadcasting at 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. I'm your host, Adam Janusz, and today we've got a whole bunch of theater. Uh, we've got some improv and uh, music and TV. Uh, and as I mentioned there, we also have robots who play instruments. Yes, they will be coming into the studio and doing a live acoustic set. No, no, that's not true. But, uh, but we'll talk about what that means. And it's coming to the Sonic Boom Festival of New Music. Uh, new Music being uh, experimental... Oh, I forgot the term uh, that I was given last week. It's like experimental art music. Not, not Rihanna and Lady Gaga kind of new music, but uh, more experimental stuff. Uh, so we'll find out what that means uh, to have uh, musical robots. We'll also get into, speaking of technology, we'll get into 1984 and how it's getting um, a sort of a retooling for the stage, including a ton of multimedia, you know, projectors, TVs, uh, sound, and, and all the other crazy technology. Apparently humans can't speak. We need a robot in here. Uh, and other technological... Uh, wizardry will make that show happen. Uh, as well, we'll find out about a TV show that uh, is about a pro hockey player who um, retires and has to work in a juice bar in Vancouver. That should be interesting. Um, and much, much more. So stick with us for the next hour and we'll fill you in on lots of great events happening in the next little while. And uh, we're going to get right into our first segment, and that's for Evelyn Strange. Uh, Stuart Lemoyne's murder mystery, Evelyn Strange, is getting its Vancouver premiere thanks to Staircase 6 Theatre, or is it Staircase XI? The Roman numerals, so that means it's a six. Director Becky Shrimpton has been working on this show for ten years and took a moment out of rehearsal uh, over these last few weeks to tell us uh, about this show, a dark comedy that combines film noir and Wagnerian opera to explore themes of identity, greed, and passion. Becky first saw the show in Edmonton a few years ago, and it changed her life. But how did it do that? That's it changed funny. the way I looked at theater, uh, just the way it deals with uh, humor and super dark themes at the same time. So uh, it makes you laugh hysterically and then start crying, which is kind of cool. And, and I just wonder why that was, that was life-changing or, or changing in, in the way you saw theater. Did before then, did, did shows not quite have that same punch? Well, often shows usually are kind of unidirectional. I mean, you get like one or two laughs, but you, uh, you really have a, a specific theme on this is a comedy, this is a tragedy, this is how this goes. Uh, rarely do you see a really good mix, dramedy, as I think the, uh, <laughs> the pretentious people like to call it. I think HBO has got a really good handle on that, but there really wasn't HBO around, at least that I was allowed to watch when I was 16. Okay. Uh, so uh, that really kind of opened my eyes to the fact that you know, life isn't just a comedy or a tragedy. There's mm. two different sides of it. And it's nice to see something that kind of has all of the whole package. Okay. And this project has been many years in the making. It's been about 10 years in the making. That's so a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. Oh, God, I just revealed my age in <laughs> a public forum. I'll have 26 You were 10 years old. I was 10 years old at the time. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's been something I've always wanted to do. It's actually only been produced um Three other times, it's been produced twice in Edmonton, uh, once out in New West, weirdly enough, and mm. once in Calgary. Uh, so it's very little known. Um, Stewart's work has been uh, produced all across Canada, but this one specifically has been very rarely done, unfortunately, because I think it's one of his best. Mm -hmm. Not that it's not all great, but sure. this is really good, yeah. And it's a combination of uh, Wagnerian opera and, and Hitchcock film noir. I know, weird, eh? But when you really think about it, the combinations make sense. They all have that heightened sense of drama. They've got that, uh, uh, just the stage are so high for everybody, you know? And it doesn't matter if they're witnessing a murder or if they're saving someone from remembering a fire. It's all kind of life or death, right? Okay, and let's help people understand uh, 
what this all means. Uh, give us a sort of uh, a synopsis or an idea of, of how how it can be uh, a Aryan <laughs> opera and Hitchcock. Kind of a big deal. It's actually funny. In the first scene, they are at uh, Siegfried, which is the Wagnerian opera. It's five and a half hours long. The whole thing's available on YouTube if you feel so inclined. Uh, <laughs> in like 60 parts? In like 60 parts. It's actually really cool. And I, I look at it and I'm like, oh, that's what a budget looks like. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's very cool. But uh, so basically what it's about is um, Evelyn has lost her memory. She's an amnesiac. Uh, and uh, the only clues she has to her identity are found in her coat pocket. She's got uh, a notebook with her name in it saying the words, my name is Evelyn Strange, followed by pages and pages of strange squiggly writing, Mm. uh, as well as two tickets for Siegfried at the Metropolitan Opera. Mm -hmm. So when she goes, she meets this reluctant hero named uh, Perry Spangler, lovely enough, um, and uh, she kind of drags him along on this this trip to try and find out who exactly she is. And there's uh, there's a terrible murder that's kind of involved with all this, and, and things just get bigger and bigger as they go along. So like an opera, you know, it starts out in a place of, or like any good play, it starts out in a place of complete stasis where everybody's doing okay, and then suddenly Evelyn shows up and everything goes to hell. Everything goes to hell. Like opera. Yeah, although it doesn't take two hours for people to die, which is nice. (laughs) Or five. Or five, yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, And this is is going to take place at uh, the Havana, which um, I would say would be a good place for a film noir-y type subject matter. Yeah, it's all black box, and if you've been to the Havana, the food's really quite decent. Urban Spoon seems to like it. Can I can I plug Urban Spoon? That's okay. Them. Okay, good. No, I like I Urban hate Spoon. <laughs> There'll be none of that. Um, yeah, if you want to have dinner beforehand, uh, they recommend an hour and a half reservation before just to make sure you make the show on time. Um, but uh, yeah, it's at one two one two Commercial Drive. That's Commercial in William Street. <laughs> cool. Uh, is there anything else you'd wanna you'd wanna say? Anything I've missed? Anything you want to uh, plug? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, can you you can uh, check out our website. We're at staircasexi.com. That's our theater company, all one word. Staircasexi.com. Uh, you can also check us out on Facebook by uh, just typing in Evelyn Strange into the search field. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. And that's Becky Shrimpton talking about Evelyn Strange, which is beginning today uh, with a preview and, and uh, formally, fancily opening up tomorrow, Thursday, March 24th at 8 p.m. at the Havana. Tonight is a pay-what-you-can preview. Uh, which is nice if you are broke. And otherwise, the show runs Wednesday through Sunday uh, with matinees on Saturday, with a matinee on Saturday, April the 2nd at 2 p.m. Tickets are $15 and $18 and are available at the door. You can also get them online. Tickets at staircasexi.com. And uh, you can also check them out on Facebook, as Becky said there, or you can go to our website, citr.ca, and get the scoop on this event and every other event that we are covering on the show. Uh, Today, uh, by the way, please note, cash only at the door for Evelyn Strange. So hit the ATM before you go. Okay, moving right along. Impulse is a five-day improvised theatre festival that will bring together university-aged performers from across Canada and beyond. Audiences will see some of the best young improv talent in the country uh, get their improve groove on. They will... Wow, that was terrible. I fail. Ah, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill myself after the show. Excuse me. Where was I? Uh, audiences will get to see some of the best young improv talent in the country get their improv groove on around the UBC campus. That's more like it. The festival will also include performances from some of Vancouver's best improv acts, including the Sunday Service and Pump Trolley. There will also be improv training, which is great. Uh, here's festival co-director Nick Harvey Cheatham to tell us more. We're really excited to be able to do it in Vancouver. Uh, This is the third year we're running the Impulse Improv Festival, uh, and we're bringing acts from university teams from Ontario, Alberta, Washington State, BC area. So we're really trying to get as big as we can, and this is going to be our biggest festival yet. Great. And it's going to bring together um, university-level improvers from from all over the place. From all over. That's right. Yeah, we have 26 performers who are traveling from out of town this year, and that's definitely the most we've ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really excited about that. And what will they be doing? Uh, They will be performing improvised theater. There are 20 groups, so there are four nights of performances, five Mm -hmm. groups a night. Uh, You're going to get to see yeah some of the best young talent in the whole country create Improvise stories based on audience suggestions. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a blast. 
Cool. Now, does it um, does it progress towards some sort of championship, or is it just a celebration? No, no. This year, we've uh, we've moved away from the competitive model. We okay. used to have a sort of a three-day tournament, and then there'd be a finals. Um, we thought that was unfair to the visiting teams who did not have a fan base here uh, uh, to cheer them on in a popularity contest. So that's, that's how you that's, win. That's usually how it works, by just audience by audience reaction. Audience mm-hmm. reaction. So we decided to move to just to showcase, highlight some of the different styles, some of the different approaches groups take in the different cities because oh. improv can develop very, very sort of like a regional dialect almost. Really? So it's cool to see the different flavors that people bring. That's really interesting that every city develops sort of their own styles and techniques that yeah. I guess match their audience. Yeah, it's true. And there are usually some instructors who mainly teach in certain cities and they mm-hmm. don't get to meet each other too much. And that's one of the reasons why this is exciting is we get to mishmash each other's styles and meet each other, uh, learn from each other. It's going to be great. Wow, that sounds great. And, and as well as university performers, you're also going to have some of Vancouver's top acts. Yeah, UBC Improv has been um, a, bit of a, a bit of a talent pool for a lot of the great performers that are currently in action in Vancouver, and we're excited to be able to bring back some of our teams with alumni connections that are now some of the best improv groups in Vancouver. So we've got the Sunday Service performing, uh, we've got Hip Bang, We've got Pump Trolley Comedy and we've got Virginia Jack. So each night there'll be a, a showcase for, for one of these terrific groups. It's going to be really exciting. Great. And um, there's also going to be opportunities for people to get improv training. That's true. Mm-hmm. We have uh, some terrific instructors working in the festival. Um, Justin Collette, who we brought out from Toronto, is going to be providing customized feedback for all of the performers in the festival. Uh, but we also have opportunities for the general public, both um, in an advanced level for people with performance experience. Uh, we're, the festival is co-presented by the Instant Shop, which is one of the awesome places to receive improv instruction in Vancouver. So the director of Instant Theatre, Alistair Cook, is mm. teaching an advanced workshop on Friday, March 25th, which is unfortunately full at this point. Uh. But you can still learn from Alistair if you, if you take some Instant Theatre classes. And we're also offering an introductory workshop on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, How much do these cost? Though The introductory workshop is totally free. For anyone who wants to come in, it's just drop in, so stop on by. Yeah, there you go, perfect. Well, um, thanks very much for coming in. Is there anything else you want to add about the, the festival? Or no, it's going to be really exciting. They're going to be parties to follow all of the events, and we'd, we'd love to have people come and hang out with us, meet the people from out of town. It's going to be a blast. And thanks to Nick Harvey Cheatham for that. Impulse International Improv Festival is beginning March 23rd. That is today, the Wednesday, and will be going on until the 26th. And today it is free. Otherwise, uh, regular shows are $5 at the door, or festival passes are $8, which is a steal. And this is happening uh, around the UBC campus uh, today at Vanier Residence Ballroom, otherwise in the Scarf 100 Auditorium. Um, So check uh, that out if you can. Okay, we're going to take a little break, and then I will attempt to fix my mouth so that it can pronounce words properly, otherwise I fear I may be replaced by a musical robot. Um, So stay with us. Are you interested in radio, but not quite sure how to get involved? CITR is the place for you. We are a volunteer-driven campus and community radio station with a variety of volunteer opportunities. Want to become an on-air programmer? Learn about promotions? Maybe become a news or arts reporter? Come learn about all the ways you can become involved at CITR. Volunteer orientations are held on the first Monday of every month at 6.30 p.m. If the first Monday falls on a statutory holiday, the orientation moves to the second Monday. Visit citr.ca for more information. A very large, ambitious multimedia adaptation of 1984 is coming to the Kulch. It's a co-production between the virtual stage, whose mandate is, quote, the investigation of emerging technologies, and Studio 58 at Langara College. The cast has 27 people, and rumor has it it will have the biggest set ever crammed into the Kulch. I schlepped over to Studio 58 during a rehearsal of this tale of state oppression and Big Brother surveillance and spoke to Andy Thompson, the artistic managing director of the virtual stage. We went off into a small rehearsal room and talked about the challenges of adapting this famous novel for the theatre and reflect on the use of multimedia in theatre and performing arts in Vancouver today. To start us off, here is Andy talking about how previous adaptations on stage and screen just weren't very satisfying for him. 
They just weren't hitting the mark. Now, uh, do we have this interview uh, immediately available? Not so much? No, maybe we'll take another quick ad, uh, ad break, and see if we can fish out this interview. Apologies for this. Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Computers. Computers from the UBC Bookstore are cheaper thanks to their student pricing. This is the innovative solution to your computation necessities. Including Apple products. Imagine the savings. Get yours before you graduate from UBC. When you graduate, you will no longer be able to take advantage of student pricing. Visit them today at the corner of East Mall and University Boulevard on UBC campus. Spend the money you save on yourself. You deserve it. Go online and search yeah. UBC Bookstore on I Facebook to and Twitter. Uh, stage adaptation, and I watched the movies, and I uh, read the plays that I knew of, and uh, I even saw an archival of one a one-man show version of it oh, wow. that was from Eastern Europe. And at the suggestion of the Canada Council for the Arts theater officer I was writing a grant for, I said, well, I just saw a production in 1984, a one-man show. You should talk to them before we give you a grant. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I will. Yes, sir, I will. <laughs> in fact, I, I actually met uh, one of the designers of that show in Serbia, wow. and she gave me the archival in person, and, you know, I didn't like it, you know. It's. It, I, I'm a big fan of the book, and, and uh, I guess when it comes to Orwell's 1984, I'm a little bit of a purist, like in terms of my aesthetic of what I want to see happen in this production. I love the story. I love. I think it's just awesome the way it is, and I didn't want to mess around with it. There's there's one uh, adaptation I know of that has the beginning of the play. And this is big spoiler alert, by the way. Oh. I guess what, can we can we spoil the story? If you if you declare that there's one coming, spoiler alert. Okay, you know it doesn't end well. 1984, sad story. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a tragedy. But um, um, there's you know there's this there's this. Uh, he eventually gets caught, and uh, Winston Smith does, and uh, and gets tortured. And, and this one adaptation I saw started with him getting tortured. And I was like, wait a second, I don't. Like, when I read the book, I was so excited about the possibility because I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh-huh of Winston and Julia getting away with their love right. affair. I was so engaged as a reader and so excited about them beating the system. And that made the tragedy of them getting caught so incredibly awful. And crushing. Yeah. That, uh, you know, when I was reading this one adaptation, I was like, come on, that's just ruining, mm-hmm. you know, the the journey of, for me as a reader. And I want to, I want, what I'm trying to do with this adaptation is, is take a theater audience on that same journey, you know? Yes, so, yes. and you use the word purist, and so, so yes, it sounds I'm, like I'm, I'm really not, dedicated to, to... I'm not a purist about a billion things. About a, yeah, I'm not a purist when it comes to theater craft either, like I'm okay. messing with multimedia and theater. Right. But, but, um, the story. but with the story, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to, to mess with it. Like, I, I don't want to, you know, put the Andy Thompson spin on 1984 and try and, you know, impress people with my incredibly unique, you know, um, angle on it. I think Orwell has an amazing thing going on. The amazing thing about 1984, uh, well, there's not one, there's several amazing things about the novel and, and I don't need to do anything else with it. I just, I, I, what I'm trying to do is, is to, to do it justice to do Orwell's, 1984 on stage, and at times, I've had to write new scenes and. Uh, so, so it sounds like um, you know purity. Purity aside, I mean, at the end of the day, you are still adapting it. You still, for uh, sure. I guess the purest thing would just be to do a reading of the book. That would <laughs> be the ultimate. But it would be so boring because the theory and practice of oligarchical collectivism alone is very dry and right. long. So I'm curious. Then, then goes on know, way so, too long. So, so like you're saying that you know. For the sake of making it theatrical, you know, there, there had to be some things that had to be sort of smooth characters that had to be blended. Oh yeah, big time. And yeah. and you know, so the process I, I went through is I actually color. I, I did a really anal retentive uh, Excel spreadsheet, um, analyzing every chapter of the book and uh, in areas of you know what characters are in this chapter, with the locations, the plot developments, any other thoughts. And then I color-coded it according to how useful I found it. So red 
for I don't find this useful in terms of stage adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yellow, I'm not sure, and green. Oh, yeah, this is amazing. This has got to be in the show. And then when I finished that process, I looked at all the green bits, and it was a kind of a patchwork and obviously uh, didn't work on its own. And, and in the book, there is dialogue, and I pulled dialogue from the green bits and some of the yellow bits, and uh, and I still had a patchwork. So, so then I thought, okay, so there's these big gaping holes in my new play. Okay. So I've got to uh, now write scenes and I've got to come up with uh, transition concepts. And uh, and I, at times I, I took the narration uh, and made that dialogue, uh, like a soliloquy type uh-huh. uh, situation. And uh, and then, even then, like, like we've been going through a, a very intensive uh, cutting process because the first act was simply too long. So first reading or the first run through of the first act uh, like a week ago was an hour 35 and like, Ooh, a little too long for act one <laughs> so um so now act one we, we did some pretty judicious and smart cuts i think and it's running now an hour and 15 so that's mm. that i can live with okay. seeing as act two is under an hour so mm. okay yeah and um what kind of things uh, because I, this is the, there's an ambitiousness to this, and, and the virtual stage is dedicated to um, innovation, multimedia. So, tell us where that part uh, comes into this, especially in the context of uh, 1984 was written when um, TV was was emerging. That's right. And now we live, well, you know, in the next <laughs> on the next thing. Yeah, the, the, internet, the, internet age. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how does that sort of um, play into uh, adapting this? Does that give you any kind of insights? The thing that I've noticed in shows a lot, uh, theater shows uh, and dance shows Mm -hmm. lately, is of course there's a lot uh, more uh, multimedia and video projection in them as as it becomes easier to do for people and cheaper for people to do. And, you know, live performers and live performance producers, we don't have a lot of money, especially, you say, compared to film or TV producers. So I often benchmark uh, my ideas around what can the consumer do like the guy at home because that's me at home you know doing stuff so so um so uh, you know you see projections in live shows a lot and but the thing that excites me about 1984 is it's not about projections it's about television so specifically uh, uh this this beast of the telescreen the orwellian telescreen is something we've had a lot of fun uh, sourcing. We've got 13 flat screen high def TVs that we're retrofitting to look like old TVs, but they have the sort of pseudo anamorphic uh, uh, ratios of the of the uh, display, and uh, but the, with the rounded edges. And we've had a lot of fun uh, sort of doing this alternate history concept that is 1984 and, and uh, bringing it to life. So um, it's something that. Uh, I was quite comfortable with and led me to the, doing that. Well, thanks very much for your time. My pleasure. And that's Andy Thompson from The Virtual Stage. Very excited about putting on 1984. Apologies for the uh, the error of starting that, uh, that clip. I hope you uh, did not get confused and lost and enjoyed the interview nevertheless. Now, 1984 is um, beginning with a preview on March the 24th which is a Thursday at 8 p.m. That's uh, two-for-one tickets night. Uh, From then on, it will run from the 25th until April the 3rd. Uh, That's at the Colch. Uh, As you have probably heard, single tickets are available for $28. Subscriber tickets are $24. And you can find appropriate links to buy tickets, etc. at citr.ca. That's where you'll see a list of all the features we have on the Arts Reports today and the links to, to the ticket information for all of them. And that's handy. So I think we'll keep right on rolling. Uh, actor Robert Ogeen is originally from Colorado, but he's moved to Vancouver and started Glass City Theatre. Their debut show is playing now at Pacific Theatre. It's called Jesus Hopped the A-Train, about two prison inmates in Rikers Island. In the most recent Georgia Strait, Glass City Theatre received quite a glowing review from the often grouchy theatre critic Colin Thomas. Here's what he said about Olgeen specifically. Robert Olgeen plays Angel with the subtlety and authenticity of a gifted screen performer. Not to get hyperbolic or anything, but watching him is a bit like watching Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. Now how's that for a, for a review? So I read that 
part out to, to Robert, and he was, well, still kind of speechless. Have a listen. Oh, man, I don't... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, 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 that's that's really really cool. I, I, uh, yeah. I guess uh, maybe from the inside, I don't, I don't see it. But uh, you weren't, you yeah. weren't trying to channel Al Pacino. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. In fact, I've kind of had a few laughs. Like, what if I threw some Al Pacino in this <laughs> in this role? You know. But yeah, no. I, I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate what he's got to say. You know, this this role is. Uh, it's it, yeah. It's been an it's been an absolute thrill for me to play play Angel Cruz. There's something about that New York, Puerto Rican dialect that just, once it's in you, your body starts following your mouth, and it's got a real, real looseness, a flow to it, and, uh, and I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have to think too much. I don't have to think too much at all about the character or movements or comparisons, because, man, that, it's interesting. Some dialects just take care of the character work, and, and that's, really? that's the case with this guy, yeah. So that was, that was kind of your in with this character, is, is just uh, hearing that, that rhythm and, and getting into that, and, and everything else sort of clicked into place? It was, it was, yeah. I've got a, despite, you know, despite my, uh, my everyday appearance, I've actually got some, some uh, Latino heritage. My dad, my dad's dad originally was from Spain. My dad's mom was a Native American from New Mexico. Which basically is the ingredients for for Mexican, you know, <laughs> native and Spanish and right. uh, blood, and and so yeah, it's interesting. I, I've got I've got sort of some Latino. I mean, definitely Latino family. My grandparents only spoke Spanish, and mm -hmm. but but it hasn't been a, a functional part of my my adult life at all. And so for me, I don't know. I don't know somehow somehow tapping into this guy and this this character and this this vibe and this uh, this dialect, this way of speaking and this way of relating. It, it kind of came fast for me, and yeah, that was my end. That was my end for the character. Was was certainly like coming, coming, coming out of the mouth, you know. Yeah, and Colin Thomas also said, uh, "quote His character, sorry, uh, your performance never shows off or explains. His character simply reacts in the ways he does because of who he is and what's happening to him." And so, I, I guess the, he's commenting about the sort of authenticity. Of, of the performance, and I wonder what what do you think has been the the key to achieving that? Well, boy, I mean that's you know that's every actor's aim is just to to live in the given circumstances, and uh, so that's a that's a huge compliment. And uh, I think I, I mean I, I don't I don't know. I mean I certainly you know being being a co-founder of the company, I I I was the one who chose this play and chose this role for myself and. And I feel like there was a there was a an initial ease in coming into this guy. I, I feel like I feel like I know this guy. I feel like I I feel what this guy feels. I, I know what it is to have messed up and be in various stages of accepting or denying that mess up, you know, and uh and the what now then of life after after you've made some pretty pretty tough choices. So I uh, Boy, I don't know what to attribute that to, other than it's it's a great script and we had a great process. And I do feel like I uh, I know this guy. Sometimes as an actor, you, you you've got to put a, a lot of time and energy to to come up with the me if this character is yeah. me if I was born and raised in this time period in this culture in this society with these uh, you know sets of circumstances surrounding my life. But the 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 me if for this character came came quick and easy. I, I feel like I know this guy. Yeah, and you just sort of trusted that. You trust that you, you know what it feels like to be this guy, and you just you just trust <laughs> to be I that. did. Yeah. I'll admit, you know, about a week before rehearsals, I was sitting there, sitting there by myself thinking, what the hell have I done? You know, because, you know, I've, I've had to darken my hair a little bit, and I thought, you know, uh, have I done... So? This isn't a character that I would be cast in, uh, generally speaking unless I were to cast myself, and that's what happened. And, and uh, you know, just walking into an audition room, I, I think they would be looking for someone who looks a little bit more the part. And, um, and so about a week before rehearsal started, I, 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 I second-guessed myself a little bit. I thought, what have I done? But it got to the first read, and, boy, it came, it, like I said, it came quick and easy, and, and I was reassured. Now, you say you, you picked this play, and I wonder what it is about it um, thematically. What is it about the sort of, um, you know, at the heart of the script that you thought, this is something I, ne I need to communicate, this is, this is a story I want to tell? Well, you know, I saw, I saw this play 
about five years ago in an academic setting in my grad school. I, I did an MFA for acting at, at the University of Washington in Seattle, and uh, and you know they have a they have a full season subscription there for the grad students to fill roles. And and like most subscriber based seasons, it was mostly populated with retirees. You know, fully taking you know taking for granted the fact that there are fifty thousand twenty somethings within ten city blocks looking for something to do on Friday and Saturday night. Yeah. And 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 this show, uh, they they did this show and it just caught fire because it's it's young and hot and fresh and it's a language that that our generation understands readily and um, it's and and I myself my jaw hit the floor because it's it's got five characters in it and at any given point any one of the characters is absolutely right and <laughs> within minutes is is saying something that that is inexcusable and they're absolutely wrong <laughs> just like just like myself and my friends and anybody that i know we're opinionated and not always in the know and are always on the cusp of being 100 <laughs> percent right and completely foolish and i just I, I related to the play um thematically in the sense that i it's, it's about it's about uh you know a lot of uh, forgiveness or the possibility of redemption or um, making up for for lost time or terrible decisions or what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable and and is right is is what is truly right. Sometimes a, a little, a much more of a shade of gray than right. than we'd like to admit. You know. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to tell us about the show. Hey, right on, my man. I really appreciate it. <laughs> That's Robert Olguin, and he says, right on, my man. I like that. I like the way he says that. Um, okay, Jesus Hop the A Train is at the Pacific Theater right now, um, Wednesday through Saturday at 8 p.m. There's a Saturday matinee at 2 p.m., and you can still see it until April the 2nd. You can look up that uh, review on the Georgia Straits. Uh, just go to uh, straight.com. You can look up uh, Jesus Hop the A Train in the search bar. It'll pop right up. And you can also go to pacifictheater.org to find out uh, about tickets for this show and their upcoming shows, or just go to our website, citr.ca, and get all the relevant links. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but we still have uh, lots of show for you. We're going to learn about uh, the last 15 seconds, which is about a suicide bombing and how um, a real-life suicide bombing was um, inspiration for uh, an exploration of... Um, of people, the people behind uh, bombs, I guess. And uh, we also have a new comedy coming to APTN TV called Health Nuts. And we'll also tell you about the Sonic Boom Festival and Dr. Andrew Schloss, who is fascinated by robotics in music. And we'll find out how he will incorporate robotics into music. So still lots of show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This just in, Tuesday nights at 11 o'clock, CITR 101.9 FM presents Cabaret Radio. Join host Teddy Smooth as he explores the chimerical, the hysterical, the phantasmagorical world of burlesque and cabaret. Tuesday nights at 11 o'clock, CITR 101.9 FM brings you Cabaret Radio. Hey, you're listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, uh, your weekly fix of arts and culture interviews, and we are talking about the last 15 seconds. In 2005, Syrian-American filmmaker Mustafa Akkad and his daughter Rima were killed during a series of coordinated attacks on hotels in Amman, Jordan. Majdi Boumatar used this event as a catalyst for new multidisciplinary work opening at the Fire Hall today called The Last 15 Seconds. The work constructs an imagined physical and verbal dialogue between Akkad and the suicide bomber in the attack, examining the lives and memories of both the victim and his killer. I spoke to uh, Majdi Boumatar, and we talked about uh, how this real-life event was a good catalyst for a play. Here he is giving us an idea of the show. Yes, the last 15 seconds uh, is based on a tragic uh, like uh, event that happened in uh, November 2005 where a coordinated series of uh, suicide attacks 
uh, occurred in downtown, uh, three downtown hotels in Amman, Jordan. Mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, main um, inspiration came from the fact that a very prominent Syrian-American filmmaker, he's probably known in the West for producing the Halloween uh, franchise, okay. the Halloween series, but he's more known in the Arab world for two major films that he created, uh, starring Anthony Quinn. Uh, one is about the Libyan freedom fighter Omar Mukhtar, and one is about the life of the Prophet Muhammad. Mm -hmm. So uh, those two films were um, like epic productions of epic proportions with, as he describes it, Hollywood technology with Egyptian workers. <laughs> um, and uh, he was by, uh, he wasn't targeted, of course, he was by chance meeting his uh, daughter okay. in one of the hotels, and he was killed by uh, one of the attacks. And uh, the irony of that event, like a person, Mustafa Akkad as a director, had uh, carried a mission of informing the West about Islam and about Arab culture. Right. And the irony of him being killed by a Muslim extremist just <laughs> hit me and stayed with me for a long time until I created this show. And so I imagine it's that irony that sort of makes for... Uh, you know, uh, a good catalyst for, for an exploration of the, the whole subject. Absolutely. It's a very um, like controversial and, and uh, kind of uh, uh, unknown subject. Like we hear here in the West, uh, the Western narratives of, you know, suicide bombers and terrorists and terrorism and Muslims are terrorists. And, but we never really look behind the, um, what the media um, gets to us, behind, like at the human level. Like why would anyone strap a bomb around their waist and walk into... Uh, like a wedding, the, one of those explosions happened in a wedding. Um, so that uh, that idea of uh, a suicide attack on a wedding, uh, also that meet, meeting between life and death, and the ceremony of life and the ceremony of death, also uh, played a role in us creating this piece and and exploring. Like myself is Lebanese of Arab, uh, like I'm Arabic uh, originally, and I have a mix, uh, a group who's mixed. Some of them are from uh, the Middle East, and others are Canadians, and others from India. So to bring these the actors and explore the question on a human level, like what, why would anyone do that, or what could be involved in um, in creating a suicide bomber. And what is, you know, you say that there's um, a Western sort of narrative, there's the, there's the sort of um, first layer that we know about um, these, these terrorists and they're doing bad things, and, and so you want to sort of go beyond uh, that. So I wonder, what is uh, beyond that? Is it, is it simply the idea that these people do have many sides and that they are human, that they're not just stock villains in a, in a Hollywood movie? Absolutely, and this is exactly where we uh, explore like the, the topic of our production, where it goes. Mm -hmm. It's this idea of um, how this uh, event have, have destroyed two families, the family of the victim and the family of the perpetrator. And also it looks at um, how uh, the, the, uh, the suicide bomber is, uh, also belongs to a family and and I think the main thing here is that the filmmaker who grew up and uh, who, who established a career in the West and created uh, a whole wealth of violent films as well um, for, for the consumption of, of Westerners and uh, on one side and on the other side is the suicide bomber who comes from Iraq. They both come from the same culture. They both come from the same um, religion and they both come from the same womb, from the same like this is why in the play the the women play the same roles. So the the grandmother of the suicide bomber plays the same. Um, uh, the same actress plays the mother of the filmmaker. Oh, okay. So they both come from the same um, culture, if you want, and they both lived definitely different circumstances. And then they met at this fatal encounter. Now the big question that we also ask is: the victim innocent of the crime? Like, is Mustafa Akkad himself, as a victim of this attack, is he 
totally innocent or do does the victim hold some of the responsibility right. and in other words we put ourselves in the in the uh, in front of the question of responsibility do we as spectators as as witnesses wit- witnesses for for such events happening in the world are we 100% innocent from what's happening or mm. what's our our responsibility interesting interesting well we've quickly run out of time is there anything else uh, you'd want to add well, I want to say that uh, Play has uh, been touring in Canada for a while, and it also had the opportunity to tour in the Middle East, in Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. And it, uh, the impact that the production has been having on its audience is incredible. So I, like, there is no way we can describe the impact uh, of the play on individual audience members the way they described it to us. So I would encourage any, everyone to come out and experience it for themselves. It's not just another play. It, it, uh, its impact has been significant. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for taking some time to, uh, to tell us about the show. Thank you so much for giving me the time. And that's Majdi Bumatar talking about the last 15 seconds, which begins today at the Firehall Arts Center. Tickets range from $17 up to $29, and you can get them from firehallartscenter.ca or go to our website, citr.ca, for the link. And the show will run until April the 2nd. Uh, there's actually a few shows, a few plays on today's show that run until April, April 2nd. It seems to be like a theatrical deadline. That's when everything comes to a halt in the city, apparently. Um, so yeah, check that out. I will be there tonight to see the show, and I'm looking forward to it, I must say. But rolling on, a new series premiering on APTN whips up some very Vancouver ideas to create a comedy. There's a washed-up pro hockey player, there's a trendy juice bar, a North Van resident with a bridge phobia, a homeless man with surprising hidden talents, uh, to name just a few. It might sound like just a hodgepodge of Vancouver stereotypes, but in fact, producers Jason Friesen and Dasha Novak of Chasing Pictures, Film, TV, and Animation are drawing on their own personal experiences. So, we talked about some of these characters and the challenges of starting a new life after pro hockey, but first, here's Jason describing what the show is about. Yes or no? No, we don't have that clip ready for you, uh just yet can we take a quick break and sort that out apologies we'll be right back ubc lip dub is coming on saturday march 26 2011 over 1,000 university students high school students and community members are coming together to rock out and show off their special skills all while lip-syncing the words to Pink's Raise Your Glass and Mariana's Trench's Celebrity Status. Lip Dub will be filmed at UBC's Vancouver campus from 12 to 7 p.m. on March 26th. To sign up, go to ubclipdub.com and be sure to tell your friends. It's going to be ridiculous. Giovanni, buongiorno. Accomodatevi che salviamo subito. every Tuesday from 2 to 3 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM here in Vancouver. Sample the various flavors of Italian folk music from the north to the south, traditional to modern, on this bilingual Italian and English show. Un programma bilingue che esplora il mondo della musica etnica italiana. Given the boot. Hey, 
Hey, we're back on the Arts Report. Sorry about that. Uh, we're having a bit of technical difficulties, but uh, we've got it sorted out now. And uh, we were just talking about the TV show Health Nuts and uh, how it's got all kinds of uh, Vancouver ideas incorporated into the show, uh, but specifically centering around a retired pro hockey player. So uh, here is producer Jason Friesen talking about what, uh, what the show is about. Uh, well, Health Nuts, it's, it's basically uh, our lead character is Buzz Real, played by uh, Kevin Loring, who actually won the Governor General's Award last year for, for his play. And um, it, it, he basically, he's been estranged from his father, Buzz Sr., for uh, about 10 years. And he he was he was like the Sidney Crosby of his time, and then he had a drunken hunting accident, and, um, and he couldn't play hockey anymore, and him and his dad had a falling out, and... He just disappeared off the map. So he shows up after finding out that his dad has died and um, to inherit this bar. And he shows up thinking that it's, uh, you know, that it's an actual bar and he might have a bit of fun and then get rid of it. But it turns out to be a bar that his dad used to drink at when he was, you know, an alcoholic. And, hmm. and he turned it into a juice bar for him and his friends and community members. And... So the condition of him inheriting this bar is that he has to not only get sober but stay sober. So he shacks up in the back of the, the uh, juice bar in, in his dad's old RV, um, which he inherits as well. And um, it's just a mishmash of all these uh, different uh, characters on the show. Hmm. The and his, his main love interest is uh, the bar of manager, Mary Horton, Who's a single mom? Uh, I was a single mom with three kids for a long time as well. So this comes again. It's uh, lots of my uh, single parents, and and uh, this experience obviously is, is quite common for a lot of people. So uh, we thought, you know, this uh, it would be a nice, uh, nice little love interest between uh, Buzz coming from this uh, from this uh, uh, quite a admired uh, background, being a hockey player, being a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, Landing down on on Earth with uh, with a single mom who's got really good common sense and she's got a mouth of a trucker because you know she needs to she needs to put uh, food on the table for her kid and and we've got a whole bunch of other characters as well who come in uh, as uh, we've got uh, we've got a neurotic uh, naturopath who <laughs> who's got uh, prone to anxiety attacks and he actually accidentally he, he he's actually kind of responsible for killing Buzz Sr. unintentionally because he gives him this new watch. It's an activity watch that he gets <laughs> out and he gets preoccupied and run over by a, by a Hummer. Um, and then we have Chuck uh, Woolawoo, who's the juice bartender, and he's, uh, he's lived in North Vancouver his whole life. He's in his uh, mid-20s. He lives with his mom, who's, uh, who's a high um, Fatutin uh, Christian woman, and He's never left North Vancouver because he has a bridge phobia. <laughs> but he really connects with Buzz because Buzz is like this um, uncaged animal that's really, he's just different to him in all different ways. Right. And so Buzz um, finds out that he doesn't know fractions when he's mixing drinks and measuring drinks behind the bar. So right. Buzz offers to help him and teach him math by uh, getting, them to, getting him to sell a pot for him to learn, you know, grams and ounces mm. and all that type of stuff. So Now, let's come back to the hockey player who's the main character. He's retired because it does strike me as an interesting profession where I think a, a similar one would be modeling where you have such a huge rise in, you know, your late teens, early 20s and, you know, sometimes you become a huge celebrity and then when you retire in your, you know, 30s or 40s, you know, all of that is is gone, and so I imagine that that's rather difficult for a lot of players to adjust to basically having a completely new life. Yeah, I mean, you know, we I, I grew up in Kamloops, and, and Dasha lived there as well, and and so you know, Kamloops is a real big hub for not only hockey players but uh, you know, coaches like Ken Hitchcock, and you know, there's a lot of guys that are, that are that have gone pro that have come from there, so. You know, when you're there in the summertime, you see all these guys come back and, you know, and they're multi-bazillionaires and, <laughs> and you know, and a lot of them are just small town guys, people like we are. And um, some of them, you know, they've been around a long time and they've made a name for themselves, like Mark Recchi, for instance, who's a 
not only an outstanding player but a, an, an amazing person. And then there's guys that are, you know, the, the goon role or whatever, and, and they were make, making the big money, but then when their career's over, nobody really knows who they are anymore after 10 years. And, right. You know, and they're working on a construction site, right? Wow. Ten years before that, they were skating around making $900,000 a year. So it is a real kind of a oddball-y thing that we, that we could draw on. Well, the, uh, the thing is that when these young players, when they usually make the big league, they're, you know, 17, 18, they're, they're very young. And uh, once they get into that big league at that young age, everything is taken care of. You've got people pretty much, you know, taking care of your business stuff, uh, arranging, you know, so you're treated uh, like a star on, you know, since you wake up in the morning, and you've uh, kind of that, that uh, the daily life that, you know, most other people have that have to survive on their own without a lot of help, that's a little bit taken away from them, so, you know, they, they could be in their uh, 30s and and they've always had somebody you know taking care of them taking care of their publicity had good money you know had good li- nice lifestyles always uh, you know being uh, admired by lots of female uh, fans and male fans <laughs> we are kind of in the spotlight and that doesn't really provide for much of emotional and, and personal growth right mm-hmm. and, and these guys they do they focus just on hockey that's that they, they live they breathe, they, you know, that's all they can do because it is a very, very demanding circus, you know. Yeah. Then when the circus picks them out, you know, lots of them have a hard time adjusting, right? Yeah. Great. Thanks so much, guys. Good luck with the show. Thank all right. You. Thank Bye-bye. you. And that's uh, Jason Friesen and Dasha Novak from Chasing Pictures Film, TV, and Animation. And uh, Health Nuts is coming to APTN. And that will be next uh, Tuesday, March the 29th, at 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time, if I have this correctly. 7.30 Mountain Time is what I have here. So I'm guessing that's 6.30 Pacific on APTN. So check that out. Now then, uh, last week we told you about the Sonic Boom Festival of New Music. It's coming on March the 24th, and one of the features of this year's festival is Robotics in Musical Performance. Dr. Andrew Schloss is very interested in this field, and at the festival he will be performing the Notomaton Variations, which he composed along with David Jaff. And he will also present a lecture called Integrating Sound and Gesture, Virtual Instruments and Robotics in Musical Performance. So I talked to Dr. Schloss, and I had to ask him, does musical robots mean that there will be androids playing violins? Not really, no. That's... uh you know that's a science fiction thing, and uh, robot. The word robot is definitely a very culturally charged uh, word. It's been around for I don't know exactly how long, but um, there's lots of fantasies about robots. And um, you know, we're a lot more practical. Um, we consider robots to be something that we can control to make, in this case, for musical instruments to control musical instruments. What we're doing is um, not really trying to anthropomorphize the. Uh, the robot and make it look mm-hmm. like us. What we're trying to do is, um, in some ways, you could say it has to do with trying to get rid of loudspeakers, at least temporarily. That is, uh, you know, when you do electronic music, you, uh, you're kind of stuck with loudspeakers. That's where the sound comes from. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with loudspeakers, but they are limited in some very particular ways. Um, for example, the way the sound comes out of a loudspeaker is, uh, is kind of fixed. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not as rich. It's not, yeah, you can, I mean, you can make, if you have very good loudspeakers, you can make uh, any sound that you want, of course, but you won't be able to mimic the radiation pattern of, of a real instrument. And uh, so that's one thing. And um, basically um, what we've done is we've put actuators inside of, of instruments like, say, xylophone or glockenspiel or drums or... Uh, even the piano. And when you say actuator, you mean something that's actually going to hit the, the, the keys yeah, or whatever. that's right. Okay. So it doesn't look like a human. In fact, in some cases, you can't even tell that there's something inside the instrument that can hit it. Uh, rather than, as I say, rather than trying to imitate the human form and the sort of kinesiology of the human, which is an interesting thing to do, we chose to be really cut to the chase, so to speak, and work only on the actual thing that makes the sound, right. which doesn't have to look like a human arm or a human hand or or whatever. So we have little actuators or solenoids that are, for example, inside the xylophone that um, in one case go straight up and hit the bar from underneath. 
so you can't even see right. that what's going on. And um, anyway, and then we control those things from computers, and we do it in real time, so to speak, so that what I do on my instrument makes sound live as if I were playing the instrument. Um, getting back to why we do it, um, yeah. it's not only that we can dispense with loudspeakers, because, um, you know, I don't. I like loudspeakers. I just would like some variety. The other thing, though, is that um, in terms of the performer, uh, it allows you to do some interesting things. Like uh, I'm a percussionist originally, and um, we percussionists do as much as we can with our two arms. And we, unlike other players, we arrange for each piece a kind of, a particular collection of instruments, especially in contemporary music. So uh, I might, in in a certain piece, I might be playing, uh, you know, ten tom-toms and three cymbals, a gong, and a xylophone. In another piece, I might just be playing a snare drum or something. But mm -hmm. what the problem is that there's a logistic uh, limitation um, that is my body. They, and so I can only reach, for example, three or four feet from me, and I can run around, and, and people do, like Stephen Schick, for example, is a well-known percussionist who plays really complex, difficult music. He He's very, very efficient, and he can play a lot of instruments and get around very fast. But no matter how clever you are and how much you work on it, you're, you're going to be limited. By, yeah. yeah, by your body. So what we can do now is um, we can give me, the player, 20-foot arms or 200-foot long arms, and I can reach over to the other side of the concert hall and hit something, In virtually speaking. So okay. in order to do this, we collaborated with a fabulous music artist, sculptor, musician, composer named Trimpen, mm -hmm. who is a German artist who now lives in Seattle. He's a MacArthur fellow who um, builds fantastic sound sculptures, and um, I've been a fan of his for a long time and, and recently started working with him. And this particular concert we did in California, Trimpen was a collaborator along with me and David Jaffe. And so Trimpen built these instruments, and uh, those were the instruments I played. And so one interesting thing about that is you can have some complicated computer set up and yet not make any electronic sounds at all. So in this particular piece, for example, there were eight string players and me, and even though I had this apparatus on stage that involved computers, I didn't make any electronic sound. So mm -hmm. the whole piece was, was acoustic. There were no microphones, no amplifiers, and no loudspeakers. Hmm. And, um, and I should say, I have nothing against loudspeakers, but I love having the option to play an acoustic piece um, hmm. without any of that. And it's it's a different experience. Um, so anyway, we just did that. Um, and uh, Now tell me tell me a bit about what's uh, what's happening uh, in the festival. There's going to be, it's called uh, Notomaton Variations, which by the way is a palindrome. <laughs> yes, it was intended to be a palindrome. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Notomaton is a, uh, is a robotic drum. And uh, we uh, had... A student here who finished his doctorate a few years ago, Ajay Kapoor, who's now at CalArts, teaching at CalArts. And um, when Ajay was here, he became fascinated with the idea of robotic percussion. He plays Indian music, and uh, he was really interested in creating an accompanist for himself. So he got interested in robotics, and I introduced him to Trimpen, who kind of tutored him on how to build these things. And so Ajay has been um, creating these instruments now for a couple of years. So the notomaton is a is a drum with ten beaters on it, and um, what's interesting about it is that uh, well, it's it's a drum that it in itself doesn't have any intelligence. It mm -hmm. just has the ability to to be controlled from from somewhere else. All the intelligence nowadays happens inside the laptop. Um, as I was saying earlier, it's kind of an interesting distinction that um, that a robot that has a brain inside is somehow more mysterious. But in fact, mm -hmm. there's no real difference. That is to say. The brain doesn't have to be inside the instrument. It can be, you know, somewhere else. In my case, the brain is the, is the laptop. But yeah. the anyway, the instrument is a drum with ten beaters, and the beaters can be liberated from the drum, which I will probably do. That is, I'm still, I'm still at this moment thinking and experimenting about what I want to use to make the sound. Um, that is to say, these uh, actuators that are remotely controlled from me can be hitting a drum, but they can also be hitting a car bumper or or some jello or whatever I want them to hit. Right. And um, the sound will, of course, completely depend on my decision. Um, and it takes a lot of experimenting. Cool. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm still... I can't say exactly what I'll be hitting. <laughs> that will be a surprise. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much for taking uh, some time to tell us about it. Oh, no problem. And that's Andrew Schloss uh, talking about uh, his component for the Sonic Boom Festival that's coming to Western Front. Um, his lecture is going to be on uh, Saturday... March the 26th at 3 p.m., and his performance uh, for the concert is the same day, beginning at 7.30 p.m., and those are both at Western Front, which is 303 East 8th Avenue in Vancouver. It's sort of uh, vaguely at uh, Broadway and Main area, if you've never been. Now, uh, tickets for uh, events at the Sonic Boom Festival are $25 regular, 15 for students, seniors, and artists. So bring your artist card. I don't know how they're going to verify that, but uh, just bring some strange glasses and cut your hair, and I'm sure that will work for you. Uh, you can get a festival pass for $60, so that'll be good for all the nights of the festival. Uh, the tickets are available at the door and are cash only. I repeat, tickets are cash only. And um, yes, just generally, uh, the festival is from March the 24th until the 20. Seventh and uh, last year they they were at capacity, so this year they expect um, at least the same, if not a sellout. So definitely get your tickets soon. Uh, you can get more information at VancouverProMusica.ca/sonicboom, or if you didn't catch that, just go to citr.ca and there's a link there, and uh, you can find out about all the the different events and lectures and. Um, and features of the festival, because there are a lot um, over the course of those days. So check that out. All right, well, we are thoroughly out of time. I want to thank you for listening to the Arts Report this week. This show was brought to you by uh, Simon, Anna, Jeannie, and Tom. And uh, next week we'll have more arts coverage. Uh, follow us on Twitter if you have it. You can do that from our website at citr.ca. Join us next week. And uh, Discord Radio is next. Bye-bye.